Good morning. We welcome you to the services of the Boonville Church of Christ. We are so excited to see you here this morning. I know there are some visitors in the audience, and we are certainly uh, welcome you to our services. I understand there were 104 at the 8.30 service on the outside, and uh, we're looking for a combined group equivalent to what we had before this virus hit. And so we really appreciate you being here. Uh, This afternoon, about 2.30, we will have a group leaving to go to Nashville to help package uh, material for Churches of Christ disaster relief. Hurricane victims uh, need help, and uh, this is in an effort to support them. We're certainly glad to have Brother Ken Forrest back from checking out his home down in Florida. Uh, He may give us a little bit of an update on hurricane damage down there from the recent one. But we're glad that you're here to worship God this morning and participating in our services. Uh, Brother Joe Garrett will be leading our singing. Uh, Brother Aaron Foster has the opening prayer. Brother uh, Gibson Foster has the scripture reading. Brandon Elliott will lead us in the Lord's Supper and Jerry Barrett will Uh, have some announcements and the closing prayer and we look forward to uh, hearing Brother Ken speak on who is going to tell the child about Jesus. Would you bow with me this morning? Our loving Heavenly Father, we are so thankful for your blessings and it is so wonderful that we can start this day by worshiping you. We pray, Father, that everything we do today would be pleasing in your sight. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Good morning, everybody. First song this morning will be Blessed Assurance. Blessed Assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. Heir of salvation, purchase of God, born of his spirit, washed in his blood. This is my story, this is my song, praising my Savior all the day long. This is my story, this is my song, praising my Savior all the day long. Perfect submission, perfect delight, visions of
This time we'll have a prayer. Bow with me, please. Dear Heavenly Father, we bow our heads humbly this morning, and of course we want to, as Brother Jim's already mentioned, we want to thank you so much for your many blessings that you bestow upon us every day, and we're thankful for this day that we can come and glorify you and worship you, and we're so thankful that you provided this opportunity, and of course we want to offer this up to you. Hopefully, hopefully it'll be in spirit and in truth. Father, we have so much that we want to pray for this morning and so many people that are on our minds. We want to start off with Thanksgiving, Father, because we have so many of our number that we've been praying for that's been through surgeries and, and other, other health-type operations and such in their lives, and, and, and you have blessed them and you have taken care of them. And, and Father, we want to continue to pray for all those. We want to pray for J.T. Beard and Brenda Dawson and Adrian Edge, Ronnie Johnson, Martha Eaton. You've continue to take care of them and we just want to pray that we'll continue to also minister to them as well but there's so many others that still need you that are taking treatments and and such and and, and father you know their names and we're so thankful for that but of course we want to show your love in our lives so help us support them through the upcoming days father we want to pray for the mission work this week uh, we want to ask your safety on the ones going to Nashville, we want to ask your blessings to be upon that work. And Father, we want to ask you to be with those who are struggling with the hurricane, those with the fire out west, all the social unrest that's happening throughout our nation. We want to pray for this pandemic and continue to pray for those who are getting sick. And Father, it just seems that there's so much out there that's negative, but we know that you are still good, Father. And we're so thankful that we can have joy in you and peace in you. And Father, I'm so thankful and we're so thankful that we know we don't live for the blessings of this earth per se. We live for, for what's to, the rewards to come to, to live with you forever. Father, as, we, as I get closer to closing this prayer, of course I want to pray for the congregation here. I want to continue to pray for the elders because there's so much that they have to deal with at this time to... To continue to make decisions that are better or are for your glory and for the betterment of this congregation here and so father i offer up a specific prayer for each one of those men who continue to lead us and to help us i want to offer up a prayer specifically and we want to pray for brother ken and miss anita we're, we're so thankful for them and we want to continue to support them and we're so thankful for how they they work to glorify you and, and to support us here and Father, there's every member of this congregation as we struggle to, to sometimes know exactly what to do because of the uncertainty of this world, we just want to ask you to be with each of us as we continue to make decisions and, and, and try to serve you and live for you. And we just ask you to, to give us the strength and the wisdom, the energy, everything that, that we need to, to make sure we love you and love others. So, Father, be with us now as we continue to go through this service and just continue to help us glorify you and put, a, put away everything that's, that's going on and, and focus on you. Focus on singing these songs and, and saying these prayers and, of course, studying your word and then partaking of the Lord's Supper. Father, we're so thankful for this opportunity. It's in Christ's name. Amen.
and uh, <clears throat> just on before the preaching this morning. I have heard of a land on a far away strand. It's a beautiful home. Standard Version. 
And Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. Good morning, everyone. It is so great to see you. I will, I will give you just a quick overview of what I saw on Thursday and Friday. We still have a son, our son Drew, our oldest, who lives very close to Gulf Shores. He actually lives on Bonsecour River. And the night of the hurricane, the waters came up on his stilted house to his living quarters. And so he evacuated. He decided he'd evacuate <laughs> while the rain's coming, the wind's blowing, and all that water. But he made it to safety. We inspected his house, took him a generator and some supplies, and he's doing great. So we praise God for that. We inspected our house that's down there, and it's missing a few shingles. The privacy fence is pretty well gone, but as is true of everybody else we saw. Fences took a hit on that trip. But we had no interior damage that we could tell, so again, we're very thankful. Uh, many of our friends, you know, church family down there, uh, everybody has sustained some sort of damage, some just, I don't know how to say it, just catastrophic. Uh, aside from driving on the main thoroughfares, it's pretty well impassable still with all the trees that have fallen on the roads. The power is slowly being restored, but there are still some places, probably Orange Beach and Gulf Shores, that won't see power for a couple of weeks. A lot of folks had their water restored on Friday, but because the water had been out for a while, there's fear of contamination, so people can can use water for cleaning things off and so forth, but it's not potable. So, still people in need of, of water, like flats of water. Um, aside from that, getting gasoline and getting the power on, other supplies, that was the main issue. Thankfully, Mobile was very lightly hit, and so it, it pretty well is as normal. And folks who can get the gasoline and travel can make it to Mobile and get some of their supplies. Uh, the Somerdale Church, from which I came, they sustained a lot of damage on their property and with the building, and so there's going to be a lot of construction that's going to have to take place there. They've set up some relief in the parking lot there. They were providing hot meals, and uh, the, the organization that we're going to be going to work with uh, this afternoon and tomorrow, actually, I had a trailer down there in the Somerdale parking lot distributing a lot of supplies. And I will tell you what, the Church of Christ Disaster Relief is a real and welcome work. And so our part in helping them, I think, is so well worthwhile. So please make contributions to that. And you know, I know you, many of you have families that are down there, and uh, thankfully there was, I think there was one death as opposed to multiple deaths as a result of what happened. So it's mostly a loss of property and a huge inconvenience. Uh, 
If you've ever owned property down there, you know that insuring it also is an expensive endeavor. And when a hurricane comes through, it's an expensive endeavor because you have a unique deductible that is only associated with hurricanes. So a lot of folks are suffering the impact of that as well. Please, I know you're already doing that, but remember the folks that were hit with this hurricane as well as Laura, and I think there are some more brewing out there in the Gulf. But we're in a, we're in a, a unique position up here in the northern part of our state that while we're not always impacted by those storms, that we can be a support to our brothers and sisters. Yes? Thank you, three of you. <laughs> we can, can't we, church? Yeah, amen. amen. So we are thankful. Actually, we have a refugee here today. Uh, Crystal Tomachak is with us, and she's going to be staying at our house a couple of days. But we're just, we're thankful for everybody's support and, and your prayers and uh, just for the general concern that people have. Okay, enough of that. You know that there's issues there for us to cover. Today, I want to challenge us again with thoughts from the scriptures. Listen, before we even get into it, I, w I want you to know, I've said this to several people who have come to me and said, boy, you got all over my toes today. And I'm like, yours are not the first toes. The first person who is impacted by one of my sermons is me. I, I tend to go at the scriptures as one who is mining for truth. And so when I find it, I'm the first one impacted by it. So probably whatever you feel as an impact from the Word of God, I feel that too. But you know what? It doesn't keep me from proclaiming it because if I think it's going to be a benefit to me, I'm pretty sure it's a benefit to somebody else. So understand that I never preach with a target in mind. I never have a thought that, boy, I'm going to preach this sermon to so-and-so out there in the pew. I'm not. The only person I'm really looking at specifically is Ken and hoping that you will benefit from what I'm learning from the Scriptures. And today is going to be one of those days. Before we start, let's pray that God will bless us in that, and then let's see what God has to say for us. Father in heaven, thank you for the benefit of this day and for your blessings and for the opportunity that we have to study your word. And I pray, Father, that you will help me as I've prepared myself to share your truth with this congregation. Lord, you know that I apply your word to myself first. And so I pray, Father, that you will help me as a beneficiary of that, to be able to communicate what I've learned with this congregation. Help me to say it in a way that's easy to understand. Help our congregation to accept it as your words and to make the application to their life. Thank you for your word and its power. And help us, Lord, not, not, just, not just to look at the word, but this is our time of worship. So help us to meditate on it and just know of your presence in it. In Jesus' name, amen. When I, when I read through the gospel accounts of the life of Jesus, and I'm talking about Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, 
I'm just amazed at what the scriptures describe for us related to the life of Jesus. We see his birth. We see the time that he's baptized and he begins his ministry. Then we walk with him through that ministry, his interaction with folks. We see the impact that it makes on his own disciples. We are there when he's crucified. And we see what happens in his resurrection. And we find hope as we read through those chronicles of the life of Jesus. But to be honest, it's really a window into the last three and a half years of his life. A lot of what happened in the life of Jesus we don't really have a record of. I do know that the scriptures are not there to share every detail with us. In fact, some, sometimes there, there are just single verses of scriptures, not, not for a gospel, single verses of scripture that are there to describe the life of Jesus. Kind of a synopsis. Uh, you might take 1 Timothy 3, verse 16 as an example. There it says, Great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifested in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen by angels, preached among the Gentiles, believed on in the world, and received up in glory. <laughs> right there. One verse of scripture has the entire life of Jesus described in it from beginning to end. One verse. But it is in those descriptions, the life of Jesus in those gospels that we get a well-rounded view of him. But I've often wondered, and I don't know if you do this or not, but I do this sometimes, especially like when I was raising my own children. I wonder what it was like for Mary raising Jesus. We don't really have any indication of what life in the home with Jesus was like. Was he like any other toddler, you know? Did he ask a lot of questions? Oh, what did they do when it came to training him? Did they sit down with him with the scriptures? How, how did that all go? I, I have no answers. But there is, again, one verse of scripture, kind of like 1 Timothy 3.16, that gives us a synopsis of the entire thing. And that is the text that was read for us a moment ago. Luke 2, verse 52. It says that Jesus increased in wisdom, stature, and in favor with God and men. You don't have to know everything about the bringing up years of Jesus. Because this text says, essentially, hey, don't worry about it. Jesus grew up in every way just like any other normal person would grow up. Now, Ken, what do you mean by that? Well, this text breaks it down into general areas in the development of a child, things that we would want to know. It says that he increased in wisdom. That would be his mental growth. In stature, that's his physical growth. In favor with God, that's his spiritual growth. And in favor with men, that's his social growth. We're all interested in those areas, aren't we? I've taken note that our society is interested in at least three of the four. We want our children to grow mentally. In fact, 
our nation spends, and this is with a B, B, billions of dollars on education every year. Billions. We have a great school system here. In fact, I, I'm not going to take a show of hands, but it seems like almost everybody in here is an educator. <laughs> it's just like when we first came here, so-and-so, oh, they teach over here, and they teach over here, and they, they used to teach, oh, they're retired from teaching. They work over here at the college. I'm like, wow, the educators. We are concerned about the education, the mental growth of our children, and we will do what's ever necessary to make sure that they grow normally. When there's a problem, we seek specialists to intervene so that our children will have every benefit as they grow. We want them to be normal. Jesus was normal. Jesus also grew in stature. That's his physical growth. And boy, we also, as a nation, spend b billions of dollars looking after the physical conditioning of our children. I know when COVID-19 hit, it put a damper on a lot of things. But even now, I can go out here on a Friday night and I can see a bunch of kids out there playing football. I know that there are kids playing volleyball. They're practicing their soccer. They're out there with baseball and softball, on and on and on. Kids are involved in all kinds of recreational sports. Parents spend millions and millions of dollars, and I'm sure, again, over the course of everything that spent billions of dollars in an industry that is banking on the fact that you want your children to grow up physically and be okay. Look, I remember when our kids were born, and this has happened to you too, you take your child, your newborn child, which is to you the best baby that's ever been, and you take them to the doctor. They're going to do these measurements and, and all these calculations. Many times they come back and they say, no, your child is in the 90-something percentile. And you're like, well, yeah, you know. Wow, our kid's off to a great... I, my kid's going to be seven foot tall. You know, it's like, wow, they're just kind of breaking all the records. We're so excited that they are physically well. And if we discover that something's off, We'll do whatever it takes to get their physical conditioning up to a normal standard. Jesus was normal that way. Socially, oh man, socially today is the day, isn't it? Everybody's connected. And our kids would be appalled if they didn't have a couple of thousand friends on Facebook and other places. Like, whoa, 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 nobody likes me. I remember when my daughter first got me on Facebook. That's been several years ago, but I was one of the last, I think, to ever get on it. She helped me set up my page and all this stuff, and she checked on me after a couple of weeks. She said, how's it going, Dad? And I said, well, what do you mean, how's it going? She said, well, how many friends do you have? I said, well, I have like 20 friends. I thought, man, I got 20 friends on Facebook. I am well-liked here. And she looked at me like, what is wrong with you? She's got like 1,600 friends. And I'm like, wait, what? You have what? How could you even know that many people? But the thing is, a new generation has arisen who may not be socially, socially connected as the past generation was in face-to-face -face 
relationships, but they have connections with vast numbers of people. Our, again, our nation and industry has been set up to spend billions and billions of dollars to ensure that that social networking is maintained. But let me ask you this question. How much is our government or our society spending on the spiritual well-being of your children? Does it start with a B? It probably starts with a Z, as in zero. We'll do whatever it takes to see that they're normal, mentally, physically, socially. But when it comes to spiritual well-being, Jesus had it, but our question today is, what about our own children? Who's, who is going to see to the spiritual well-being of our children? Who is going to tell the child about Jesus? Who's going to be responsible for that? I'm wondering, is it the church's responsibility? You know, we come here and a lot of people will check out churches based on their Bible school program. I've sat in an office with lots of young couples who had children who were trying to determine where they wanted to place their membership in an area. And one of the questions that they always asked was about the youth program. How do you take care of my kids? What kind of trips do they go on? What's your vacation Bible school like? What kind of camp do you go to? On and on the questioning about what are the services that your church provides that will take care of my children. I'm just kind of wondering, is it the church's responsibility to take care of all these kids and to help them grow spiritually? Maybe it is. Because I look at what was taught regarding the church and I have to know that teaching of the Scripture is right there at the top. In fact, 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 2, in that text, the Scripture is actually relating Paul to Timothy and his hope for the future and kind of the program of the spread of the gospel. And Paul tells Timothy, and whatever things you've heard from me among many witnesses, commit these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Now, if you break that verse of Scripture down, you'll see that there are four generations of people just mentioned right here in this text with the prospect that it would be generation after generation after generation ad nauseum until whenever. Watch that. Paul says the things you've heard from me. Well, Paul is the first, and then Timothy, who's hearing it from Paul. And then he says, you commit that to faithful men. That's another group of people. And then they'll teach others also, other faithful men. That's four generations right there. Assuming that it just keeps going on, on and on and on and on. So the idea was that the Word of God was going to be transferred. And how was it transferred? Well, as I'm thinking about a Bible school program, which is a great mechanism for distributing the Word of God, I know, for instance, I, I'm thinking of teachers who are interested in growth, that I want to be a part of that sharing aspect of the Word of God. So I want to see that it continues on and on. That was Jesus' program, right? Growth. When he was ascending to the Father, he calls back down to his apostles who are watching him leave. 
He says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. Now watch that. You, apostles, you go and you preach that gospel to every nation. But as you are preaching, then you also teach them to, to teach what I taught you. So similar to what Paul told Timothy. What these new disciples learn, they're then to take and share with somebody else. That's growth. That's forward thinking. Generation after generation after generation. What happens, do you suppose, if in the process of all of that, one generation drops the ball? Well, we don't have to wonder. Uh, There was a situation like that. It's recorded in the book of Judges, chapter 2 and verse 10. This is after Joshua has died and kind of talking about how we go on from here. The Bible simply tells us there that what, there was a generation who rose up who did not know the Lord nor the works that He had done in Israel. Now you see what happened there? Much of the trouble that happens during the time of the judges and afterward is a direct result of just one generation not being taught the truth about the Lord. One generation and then all of that negative fallout as a result. If we have a Bible school program, we have teachers who are in tune with this idea of propagating the gospel, then I feel pretty confident if my kids are in those classes that things are going to go well. I'm also confident, especially in the Boonville Church, that the teachers who are doing that teaching and are who in line, in line with this idea of growth and perpetuating the truth generation after generation, that they are going to be people who are convicted themselves and then want to share and continue on with the gospel itself, the real truth the unadulterated truth, unabridged, unchanged, just sharing what God has to say. That's what our text told us to do, right? The things you have heard from me, commit. Commit this truth. What truth would that be, Paul? Well, Paul himself talked about it in Galatians 1, verses 11 and 12. When he was questioned about the message he was preaching, he said, whoa, 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 whoa. This gospel which I preach, this is not from man, nor was I taught it, but it came by revelation of Jesus Christ. Paul says, what I've received, and then in our text he's given to Timothy, Timothy the faithful and faithful. That message that I've received, Paul says, that came directly from the Lord himself. So this is not some doctrine men created. This is a doctrine that came from God. And then not only that, Paul, previous to this statement in Galatians 1, at verses 6 to 9, warns people... If you don't teach this truth that was given to you, then you are under the curse of God. If anyone preaches any other gospel than that which I have preached to you, listen to this, let him be accursed. You think Paul was serious about the message that was being preached? He absolutely was. And I have every confidence if I brought my children here, they'd be in a Bible class that's interested in growth and interested in growing on the true, unadulterated Word of God. And then, I'm also thinking if they're in one of these Bible classes, they're going to be taught by somebody who is so convicted by the Word that they teach that their example of life, the way they live, is going to be a testament to what the Word of God can do. 
And so, like when Paul talked to Timothy, he reminded him in 1 Timothy 4, verse 12, you be an example to the believers in word, conduct, love, spirit, faith, and purity. You live the message that you teach. No doubt about it. I'm confident that happens here. So if it is that the Bible school is responsible for bringing up my children and helping them to grow spiritually, then man alive, I feel great about it. But let me tell you a little story, give you an illustration. If I have a child that I'm raising that is under normal and, I'm just going to say, ideal conditions, that is, this child has two parents, uh, they, they have uh, three meals a day, they're in a safe place. Uh, basically, they live in a vacuum, as it were. No, no problems getting in the way of it. If we just go straight statistics of a perfect environment, then a child, from the time that they are born until they are 18 years of age, if they get eight hours of sleep every day, will be awake will be awake for 105,000 hours. Now, over the course of that, if everything is as we hope it will be, they'll go to school somewhere. They'll go to a primary and secondary school. And during the course of those years, they will be in that school classroom for 16,000 hours. Again, if everything's ideal and these are faithful parents to the Lord, they'll be bringing them to church and to our Bible school that we have so much confidence in. And they'll actually be in Bible school. If we even include vacation Bible school, you know, those extra little times when they can get instruction, they will be in a Bible class setting for 2,000 hours. That means that the remainder of instruction is from the home. And that comes to a whopping 87,000 hours. So I've raised my child, they get into trouble. Who's responsible? You know, I hear it on the news all the time. It's the schools. The schools are just letting my children down. Really? Well, the schools had your child for 16,000 hours You had them 87,000. You had them five times longer than the school system had them. And yet, something happens. We, we, you know, we're we're going after the superintendent. We want the teacher fired. Really? Is it their fault? You say, no, it's not. It's not their fault. Because I'm a Christian. I'm raising my... It's that church. It's that Bible school program. It's the preacher. It's the elders. It's the deacons. It's the secretary. It's the janitor. It's their fault my child made this. Really? Now, we basically had them for 2,000 hours. You had them 44 times longer than we had them. And yet it's our fault? Who's responsible? Did you know that God actually didn't put the responsibility with the church? God did not say, look, I'm going to take care of the spiritual advancement of all those kids through the local church. That's not the way he designed it. 
God. God chose to do it through the family. I mentioned this text Wednesday night, if you were in the Bible class. It's kind of at the heart of everything. It's from Ephesians chapter 5. It says, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, is also Christ the head of the church. He is the Savior of the body. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word, that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but she should be holy and without blemish. So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own body. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as the Lord does the church. For we are all members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother, be joined to his wife. The two shall become one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and his church. Nevertheless, let each one of you in particular so love his own wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Now here's what I want you to see about that text. And that is, the home is comprised of a husband and a wife. What kind of a home am I expecting when I look at a Christian? Well, I'm expecting a home that's described right here. I'm expecting a husband who loves his wife so much that he'd die for her. And I'm expecting to see a wife who loves her husband so much that she submits to him and she respects him. She builds him up and he protects her. And the children who see this arrangement cannot help but love and respect both of their parents. And then as a natural result of that, are going to love God just like their parents love God. There's a text in the Old Testament that, I don't know, it's like it kind of gets abused a little bit because people don't believe what it has to say. It's Proverbs 22 and verse 6. You probably know it by heart. If you're a parent, I'm sure you do. Train up the child in the way he should go, and when he is old, what? He'll not depart from it, right? Now, I, I have heard more explanations... I would say more explaining a ways of that text than maybe any other text in the Bible. Because people look at that text and say, well, now that's Proverbs, so it, you know, everything being equal, that would be true, but you know, I know this and that and this situation over here, and it didn't just work out that way. And so it must not mean what it says. So then you get all these different interpretations that are different from what it apparently seems to say. Here's what I think that text actually, literally means. I think that text actually, literally means that if you will train up a child in the way he should go, that when he's old, he'll not depart from it. <laughs> you say, Ken, wait a minute, that's no explanation, that's what it says. Well, that's the explanation. I think it means what it says. And I think it means what it says because there was a certain commitment that, pa that parents were making to their children when this proverb was written. Let me give you the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 6, verses 7, 8, and 9. And I'll only pick those out because those pertain to what the parents were supposed to do with the children. All that preceded it and pretty much everything that follows it has to do with what the parents were supposed to do in their own lives. 
They heard the Word of God, the Ten Commandments and everything associated with it, and they were to keep it. But this text says that the parents were instructed to teach them diligently to their children. Now, we ask the text, what do you mean diligent? What would diligent teaching be? It's right here. Here's how you teach your children diligently the Word of God. You teach it to them when they lie down, when they rise up, when they walk by the way, when they lie down. You present it to them as signs on the hands and frontlets between the eyes. You write it on the doorpost and the gate of the house. In other words, when you are raising your children up, you have the Word of God around them all the time. It might be in some of those cute little framed pictures that you get from Pinterest. <laughs> it might be on a t-shirt you wear. It might be, get this now, it might be coming right off of your lips. When you speak to them, they hear the Word of God. But in that home, from the time they are born until they leave it, they are saturated with the Word of God. I, I will tell you that with my grandfather, I remember many times showing up at my grandfather's house. He was sitting under the pin oak tree asleep with the Bible open on his lap. He had been sitting out there reading God's Word, and just he was so, he was so into it, he just fell asleep while he was reading it. And here's what I grew up knowing about my grandfather. My grandfather loves God, and he loves God's Word. And that Word was on his lips continually. You know why? Because he fed himself with it, with the intention of feeding others with it. I don't think that any Israelite, when they read that new proverb, boy, did you check out that proverb of Solomon? Solomon says, when, when you teach your child and he grows up, he'll not depart from it. Train up that child the way he should go. We, we, they're like, duh, duh. Well, of course that's true. Of course that's true. Because they were diligent in their instruction of the children. Well, in that arrangement then, Ken, who's, who's culpable? Number one, Father. Ephesians chapter 6, beginning at verse 1. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and your mother, which is the first commandment with promise, that it may be well with you and that you may live along on the earth. And fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. A parallel passage is Colossians chapter 3, verse 21. Do not provoke your children, but... Uh, lest they become discouraged. Now watch that. Father, you're responsible to train up your children. Bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. Bring them up. Don't push them down by squashing their spirit or their heart. You know, don't berate them. Lift them up. That's the idea of these passages when you see them as a whole. Who's responsible for that? Father. So many times they hear about mothers, and my mother was this way. I'll just go ahead and tell you. I, I, can't, I, can't, I can't think of a time when, as a child, I went to bed that my mother did not come in and read the Scriptures with us 
and pray with us and give us a kiss and tell us she loved us before we went to bed every single night. But do you know who the Bible says should be doing that? I'm sorry, it's not me, it's the Bible. Dad, you train them up in this training, bring them up in the training and admonition of the You do that. But what do I see? I see a lot of times a mother who is so diligent and faithful to the Lord, she's bringing her kids, she, want them, she wants them to know the Lord, but Dad, he's just, you know what, he's not in tune with that. He's not in tune. In fact, more often than not, he doesn't even come to worship services. And really, going to lead a prayer and scripture, I don't have time for that, I'm busy. Why do you think then, later in life, especially the boys, I'm thinking, when they get to be about 15, 16 years of age, bigger than mom, mom can't manhandle them, so to speak, anymore and make them do anything. So Junior says, you know what, Mom? Ah, I'm not going to church with you today. I'm going to stay home with Dad. And we're going to do some man things. You know, man things. Like sleep in late, read the newspaper, watch TV, man things. You know what that is? That is a classic case of shirked responsibility. Did you notice the text from Ephesians chapter 5 a moment ago? That husband is the head of this family. He's the spiritual head of this family. Father, you are the spiritual head of this family. Everything that happens in your family that is spiritual is your responsibility. Can mom help you? Sure, that's fine. But understand, it's your responsibility. You say, well, yeah, I like that text where it talked about the woman being in submission to me and how she's going to respect me. Woman, you respect me. Okay, hey, great, I'm all for it. You just be the rooster in your house and you have that hen just, just submitting to you all the way. Great, but here's what you do. You be the leader. You make sure that that child hears the Word of God from your lips. You make sure that the prayers are led by you. You bring the child to worship services. Invest yourself in the spiritual upbringing of your children because God expects you to. Well, does mom not have any responsibility? <laughs> of course she does. She is, for lack of a better way of putting it, she is the emotional spark plug in this home. And if she is not loved by her husband, lots of things are going to go out of whack in this home. It's going to affect those kids. But boy, I think about mothers and their influence on their children and the way the Bible describes them, and it is just, it's amazing. You remember Moses, right? Heard of him? Well, Moses had a mother by the name of Jochebed. Not much is said about that woman, but I'm telling you, Moses became the man he was by the direct influence of that mother. She took the time to see to it that his heart was God's and not Pharaoh's. You ever hear of Hannah? Samuel would not even be had it not been for the tearful prayers of Hannah and promising to dedicate him to service to the Lord. Wow! 
And then we were mentioning Timothy earlier. Timothy's faith was first found in his grandmother Lois and his mother Eunice. I don't ever hear about Timothy's father. But I know about his mother and his grandmother. Even though he didn't have the spiritual leadership that God had called for in his life, still, he had that influence through a mother. And you talk about the Proverbs. Proverbs 31 gives some of the most beautiful, glowing words about a wife and a mother who is committed to her family. Uh, we'll look at just a few verses. Proverbs 31, 10, 11, and 12, maybe the most famous of those verses. Who can find a virtuous wife? For her worth is far above rubies. The heart of her husband safely trusts her so that he will have no lack of gain. She does him good and not evil all the days of her life. And then look at verses 28, 29, and 30. I don't know of any woman who wouldn't want this said of her. It says her children rise up and call her blessed. Her husband also, oh, and he praises her. Many daughters have done well, but you excel them all. Charm is deceitful and beauty is passing, but a woman who fears the Lord, she shall be praised. You know whose responsibility it is? It's our responsibility as parents. See to the spiritual upbringing of our children. I heard this story about this woman expecting her first child. Boy, she is so excited, as you can imagine. And the time had come. She's, she's, going, she's going to deliver this baby today. It's like, man, I can't wait. This is so exciting. They wheeled her in, and she had a conference with those who would be attending her that day. The doctor, all the nurses, she said, look, I, I know this is unusual. You've you got all this apparatus here for me. She said, but I'm telling you, I, I do not want any kind, not any kind of pain medicine at all. Don't want epidural, don't want anything. And furthermore, when my baby is born, I don't want anybody to say anything. When my baby comes, I don't want somebody to say, well, oh, what a beautiful baby, or, or uh, it's a boy, or it's a girl. I, don't want, I want there to be total silence in this room. And they said, now, ma'am, <laughs> you know, this, this is going to be... They warned her. She said, no, this is how I want it to be, because I want to be awake and aware when my child is born. And so, as many of you can attest, it was a painful and difficult delivery under those conditions. But when that child was born, the staff honored her request, and there was total silence in the room. The doctor took the baby and laid it on her abdomen, and then she raised up and she said one word, Jesus. The reason she did that, she said, was because she wanted the first thing her baby ever heard was the sweet name of Jesus. And her commitment was that from that time on, through the rest of that baby's life, even into adulthood, that in that home the name of Jesus would flow freely. That name would be heard often. 
and that as they grew up and began to have their own children, that they would speak the name of Jesus. And then as they came to the end of their life, her hope was that the very last word on their breath would be the name Jesus. God is serious about our families. And I ask you today, who? Who is it that's going to tell the child about Jesus? Now, I can only speak for one person in this room, and that's me. I'm going to tell my children about Jesus and my grandchildren, if God will bless it to come to be. And as long as I live, that name's going to be on my lips. Now, what about you? You say, well, Ken, (laughs) wow, you lost me a long time ago because I wasn't a good parent. And that's evidence. You know what? Are you still breathing? You still have blood flowing through your veins? Here's what I believe. I believe that it is never too late to speak the name of Jesus. And maybe it is that you can be the means of restoration of the name of Jesus in your family. It is not all lost. Maybe you have regrets. We all have regrets about something. But this is something that we can do something about. You be the one to tell the child about Jesus. If you're not a child of God today, hey, you didn't know, right? Show your children the commitment you have to their spiritual (coughs) well-being by taking care of your own spiritual condition. Obey the gospel. That will change everything in your history. Not only will you be saved, but you'll impact your future generations for salvation. Wow, what a start. Maybe you're already a child of God. You've made plenty of mistakes. Maybe you need prayers and encouragement. Most likely all of us have some experience with failure. Am I right? If you need our prayers and encouragement, we're here for that purpose. You do it. If anybody needs to respond, now's your opportunity. Why don't you come if you need to while we stand and sing together. Careless soul, why will you linger Wandering from the fold of God Hear you not the invitation Oh, prepare to meet thy God Careless soul, oh, heed the warning
sing a song just to clarify the Lord's Supper this time. Jesus keeping near the cross. We examine ourselves to see if we're living for him. We ask all this in Christ's name. Amen.
If you will, bow with me again. Father, again, we come to you thanking you for your son, Jesus, and we thank you for this cup, which represents his blood. We're thankful again for your love for us and uh, for the shedding of that blood and what it means to us. Pray again that we would examine ourselves and our lives. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. This concludes the Lord's Supper. We also have an opportunity to give. We have offering plates at the exits. We have uh, other ways that you can give. You can go online uh, and give also. If we would, or if you would, please bow with me now as we thank God for all of our blessings. Father, we come to you at this time so very thankful for all that you provide for us, and we thank you for uh, the ways that we have to earn a living and, and make money, and we just pray that we would give back to you cheerfully. Uh, we're so thankful for all of our blessings, and we know all of those come from you. We ask all this in Christ's name. Amen. Before our final announcements, I want to uh, make a quick Say a couple of quick things. Thank you, uh, Brother Ken, for that lesson. Uh, thank you so very much for uh, that lesson from God's Word. On the heels of that lesson, it's exciting to talk about Bible class. Uh, I just wanted to, uh, yes, we are navigating strange times, and uh, uh, there are many who still have concerns and, and, and questions regarding uh, COVID and all those different things, and I respect that, and, and we appreciate those concerns, we're doing our best to address those. But it, it, as we do that, we are also trying to move back into the swing of, of having Bible class. And we've done this for two Wednesday nights now. And I just wanted to report just a little bit. And I thank you for the teachers who were in those classes. And we had two meeting classes the first Wednesday night that with no students. And last week, we only had one. Uh, and there are a couple who are already having to make arrangements because those classes are growing and we appreciate that. But what I really wanted to share with you is that uh, this is why I got up here. And I hadn't said this to the elders, but I wanted y'all to hear this. I've had uh, two different occasions where a teenager approached me. First of all, to walk down those classes and, and to hear those voices inside that classroom. Uh, uh, you probably ought to take a field trip from the auditorium class and just do that because I'm going to tell you to make your week. Um, but I had two different times teenagers said to me, I am so glad we're back. I am so glad we're back in Bible class. Had some other kids said, oh, man, I can't. Uh, we're having Bible class. Uh, it means something. Keep praying for that. Lord willing, on October the 4th, we're going to try to again reinitiate Bible class uh, on Sunday at 5 o'clock. More will be said about that. But with that said, in the next couple of weeks or so, there's a 99.9% .9 probability if I'm walking towards you that I'm going to talk to you about Bible class. So do not do what some of my students do in Walmart. Don't turn the other way uh, because I'm probably going to talk to you about Bible class. On behalf of the eldership, I just want to thank Ken for that lesson today. 
when I think about what's important for our children, that's an important lesson. What's important for this congregation, that's an important lesson. Just think what happens if we skip a generation. Thank you, kid. Good morning. Just a couple announcements. Um, we need to be in prayer for the friends and family of uh, Wilma Underwood. She was Bobby Maddox's sister. She passed away. Patrilla's sister-in-law. Also, Brenda Green, who is a member, was a member at the Marietta Church. Let's be in prayer for her friends and her family. Have a note to read. To my brothers and sisters in Christ, thank you for all of the cards, phone calls, texts, emails, and gifts that I received from you on my birthday. Each one was so special and meant more than you will ever know. I appreciate your making my 90th birthday so wonderful. Love, Julius Lee Wales. So 90 years, it's a long time. And that's a great day. Well, I guess that is all the announcements I have. Everybody has a bulletin. Please take it with you, share it. Leave it sitting in places where people might be able to read it. And if you don't have one or forget to look, just know that everyone is invited to shower, a baby shower for Parker Pounds, daughter of Evan and Tori Pounds. And that uh, will be, I'm so sorry. You'll have to look at it. I don't see a date on there. And um, please be in prayer for those people down on the coast. As we've already heard, the devastation that was uh, caused. Be, be in prayer for those people. And always remember the food pantry and clothes closet, the good that they do. It is such a good program that we have, good ministry. Uh, this week, vegetable oil will be what we need to be bringing. Uh, and it will be open October 8th and 15th. And as was just spoken a little while ago, uh, let's don't forget about our midweek Bible classes, 7 o'clock on Wednesdays, and ladies' Bible class on Tuesday mornings at 9.30. So we will, uh, we will have a closing prayer, and then let's just remember to leave sequentially by pew, because there's still people getting sick, and it's, you know, it's, we need to remain diligent. So if you would, please pray with me. Heavenly Father, we're so grateful for this utterly beautiful day that you've given us. We're so grateful for the weather. We're so grateful for everything that we see and we hear, and we're so thankful for the love of each other. Father, we, at this time, we pray with all of our hearts for those that are sick, those that are mourning, and those that are lost. 
We pray that we can make a difference to raise anyone's spirits, that we can teach thy word and introduce them to you, Father. We know that every day that we live is one less day that we have. We need to know that every day that we have that there's more to learn, that there are more people to love, that there are more people to help, there's more sacrifice to give, there are more people to teach. And Father, it is another day that we can never cease to be thankful because we know that everything we have comes from Thee. And we know that Your Son came here and put all this in motion. And for this we are so thankful eternally. And for Your Son we are so grateful. In His name we pray. Amen.